Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 3. Here we go. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. <laughs> there it is. We kick right off with it, right? And we see Paul listing here several sins that we see. Uh, we see sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, or it may say greed uh, in your translation. And here's what's important. All of these deal with a disconnect with love. Last week, we looked at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and it was talking about walking in love. And now, Paul is going to talk about this uh, walking in, in light versus darkness. And he's talking about these specific things that represent darkness and, and really uh, are a distortion of love. You know, when, when, when we think about seeing some of these words, I think it's also important for us to understand because we'll sometimes be like, oh, Bible doesn't really connect with what I'm dealing with today, or it doesn't really know the kind of issues we're walking through. When you see that right away, you have to go, man, uh, it's actually uh, addressing specific things that we're walking through right now. And when you study history, you understand and know that, yeah, they were dealing with a lot of the major decisions, a lot of the, the moral uh, uh, issues of that day we're dealing with today. And, and so when we look at this and understand the context and, and understand it, uh, really that, that it's talking about uh, these things that are in the way of experiencing God's love to the fullest. And we see when you see sexual immorality, impurity, or this covetousness or greed, and it says it must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. It's literally saying it's taking those things and they are in opposition to God's love, his design for love. You know, whatever God establishes, Satan will counterfeit. Where God establishes true love, Satan produces counterfeit love. See, one of the things that, that I hear, and, and it's just not true, uh, I hear, well, the Bible is, is just this anti-sex book and, and that, and it's not up to date or anything like that. It doesn't connect. It doesn't. Uh, do you understand that that's not true at all? No, we, we highlight a lot of these uh, verses, and then we take them out of context. But, but the Bible is actually very pro-sex. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, we see like intimacy. It promotes intimacy to the greatest degree of intimacy you can have, which is what you're looking for when you do have sex. And so the Bible actually uh, tells you it's the roadmap to how you experience the very thing you're trying to find, the greatest level of intimacy. It tells us how to do that. It promotes that. And it knows that that is experienced because God is the designer. He's the originator of it. And he says, you're going to experience that to its greatest pleasure, to its greatest degree within a covenant of marriage. And so he's designed it for that. Now, Here's what's so important uh, for those of you to understand, especially those uh, who go, no, that's not how we roll anymore, or that's, that's irrelevant uh, to me, or, or this. Like, you need to just understand. Um, when I buy a set of Legos, 
for my boys. My two oldest boys, actually all three of my boys, they love Legos, but my two oldest boys, uh, they, they more can walk through and they're looking for different themes uh, and, 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 and they can start to build them now themselves. And so I will go and I will buy uh, a Lego set. You buy it in a box and it looks really cool. And, and you see it, it, for me, it's really amazing because I used to have a Lego connect, uh, collection when I was younger and I look at the Legos and what they're able to do now and it just blows me away. But I bring this home and, and, and I open it up and obviously it's just a mess of, of, of they're in their bags and, and they now are so advanced. They have like, this is bag one, bag two, bag three. And then there's instructions. You have your instructions in how to do it. And, and as I build or they build uh, out the Lego set and as it, as, as it, it starts to take shape and, and becomes what is on the box, that image and as it's fulfilled, the, the, the boys, if they build it themselves, they're even more excited. But even if I build it, they're just like, wow, there it is. It looks so great. It looks exactly like the individual that designed it uh, and created it. it. It's exactly as they intended it. It, it is what, what I, and it's what I wanted. And they see that. And, and, and I'm like, here, have fun, you guys. And they go and they play with it. And, and they play with it exactly how you're supposed to play with it for a little while. Then they start to mess with it a little bit, distort it, take some pieces off, add some pieces from some other things. And slowly over time, it no longer looks like its original design. And they get bored with it. And, 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 and slowly it starts to just become a part of this bin of all these other past sets that I've bought. And it just lives in there. And then they come back and they say, dad, could you build that again? We love it. It's, it's so awesome. Dad, here, here it is. Here's the instructions. And, and I say, well, where, where is it? What happened to it? And they bring the bin and I go, how in the world am I supposed to recreate that? to its original design, its original intent. And what you see there is when it was built and when it was functioning, how it was designed, it brought the most joy for them. It was fulfilling. It was exactly what they had imagined even playing with it. But slowly as they took uh, the, the Lego and as they started to do what they wanted to do, as they started to make changes that they thought they wanted to make that would make them more happy, that would, that would make it more fun to play with, all of a sudden it ends up just being a pile of Legos. And when you think about some of our lives and the sexual immorality that is going on in our world and even in in our lives individually, in the relationships we have or don't have, in how we operate uh, in the dark and all of those things, uh, it looks honestly like that bin of Legos. It's a mess. It looks nothing like the original design. And here is the thing that you just need to understand. God created sex. We didn't. We didn't. God created it. So as the creator, he gets to define how it's played out. He gets to he gets to define what it's supposed to look like. How it, and uh, because he knows why he designed it, he knows what it's designed for. He knows the fulfillment of the gift that he has gifted us with. He knows how to experience that to its fullest. Don't you think 
he's worth putting our trust in when we approach it, when we think about it. He's the creator. Now, if you're the creator of it, then okay, whatever, but you're not. He is, and so he defines it, and we know by his nature how much he loves us, that, that he wants you to experience it to the fullest extent. He wants you to experience the ultimate intimacy that you can never have when you do it your own way. And he says, if you just do it my way, this is how it happens. It happens, And it will be the most fulfilling. It will be actual, actually worshipful if you do it my way. And, and so he should have the right to do that. And we would use that same logic in any other thing. But why in the world with this do we say no? Because it messes with my view of love. Because my view of love is about me, right? And, and it's different than what we talked about last week, sacrificial love that the Bible talks about, that God has designed for us to live in. And so you just need to understand, in contrast to God's unselfish, forgiving love, the world's is lustful and self-indulgent. It loves because the object of love is attractive, enjoyable, satisfying, loves in return, produces desired feelings in us. It's based on the other person fulfilling our own needs, desires, and expectations. That's how a lot of us base and we view love. Worldly love is reciprocal, giving with the expectation of getting. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So uh, essentially, that, that's not love. That doesn't say anything about the depth of your love. Like that you can love someone that, that, that loves you back? <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't show the depth of your love. See, the world claims to want love, and love is advocated and praised. Romantic love especially. Uh, when you think about songs that are, are sung, uh, I don't know about you, but I remember growing up, and I remember one of my girlfriends uh, that I had uh, in high school, uh, one of a girlfriend I had in high school, and she made this Valentine's Day song mix on a CD for me, and I remember we listened to it, and it was all these love songs. You think of books that are out there, uh, the movies uh, that we watch, that we love, uh, television shows. Con they're continually exploiting this emotional, lustful desire as if it's genuine love. To the point where we picture it in our head, exactly how it plays out, uh, whether it's in, uh, in this story, in this movie. And so it shouldn't be surprising that the misguided quest for that kind of love leads to immorality or impurity, right? Because we're searching for and fantasizing about the perfect love that, that, is, that is portrayed as the ultimate human experience, right? That is literally portrayed, when you think about our world, that's portrayed as the ultimate human experience, this perfect love. Um, like, why do you think people watch The Bachelor? <laughs> you watch The Bachelor, <laughs> Why is that show still running? Why is it still happening? I, I, I didn't know this till a couple months ago. I didn't even know it was still on, but, but man, people are like, no, people watch it. And they're like, I think so-and-so watches it. Why, why do people watch that? Why is that still a show? 
Why are all these other shows coming out that are very similar to that? And when you think about like, like what motivates us, what drives us into these stories, into these movies, into these songs, uh, when you think about even if you're like, I'm single, this doesn't deal with me. Well, what are your plans this weekend? And what's motivating those plans? What are you hoping to experience? And so it shouldn't be surprising that this misguided quest, this uh, for for love, it leads to what he's talking about here: this immorality and impurity, because that love is selfish. It's a counterfeit of God's love. It's conditional. It's self-centered. It's not concerned about commitment, but satisfaction. It's not about giving, but getting. And in the parallel text in Colossians chapter three, verse five, it says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And what says earthly, what is in opposition to God? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, when it says passion, uh, right? Passion can be good, right? But, but anything can be taken that is used for good and also be taken and used in a negative way. Galatians chapter 5, 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And, and, and the word here for immorality in the Greek, pernea, it refers to all sexual sins. So it's talking about anything uh, sexually that is outside of God's design for sex. The Greek word for impurity is a more general term referring to anything that is unclean and filthy. It refers to immoral thoughts, passions, fantasies, and any other form of sexual corruption. And people will try to work around this teaching of Scripture. They'll be like, how do I avoid this? How do I get around it? How do I justify where I'm at, what I'm trying to do? And and I'm reminded of that uh, when there was this uh, in-flight magazine, uh, and it was promoting a specific club. And this was the headline for it. <laughs> I was reading about this. The, the headline said, it's just the right amount of wrong. It's just the right amount of wrong. <laughs> I want you to think about that. Because we go, oh, that's kind of funny. But I think a lot of us make decisions like that. Oh, this is okay. This, this isn't that wrong. Because a lot of us, we've literally created this framework of, of wrongs that are acceptable, but there is a certain point that, oh, that's too wrong. Well, who decides that? Oh, you decide that. Like, so you get to decide what's, what's actually really wrong and what's kind of not so wrong, and, and you get to operate in that. And, and I just want you to think how crazy that sounds, and yet that's normal for some of us. And it's not just normal for people that, that don't believe in God or want anything to do with God. This is also how many Christians operate. This is what they're looking for, is how can I toe the line? How can I get as close to this as possible? And if I'm a little wrong, that's okay. I'm not like them. That's so backwards. This is in, like, like we think this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And, and listen, um, this is in the church. This, this, this issue, this sin, this lust, this distortion, and sexual immorality, it's in the church. 
the influence of lust has been so pervasive in the church because many of us think we're above it or, or it's not really a problem or I can just hide it or move forward. And, and, and if I still look the part, play the part at church, no one will really, really figure it out. And, and I can still like, like check all the boxes and, 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 and no one's going to find out. Or we've become convinced and found scripture and we just twist it a little bit to justify our angle or so that we actually in our minds go, oh, it's, it's okay. I found a way to justify this sexual impurity that I'm acting on. And so, and, and, and we'll literally go, oh, because of grace, like grace, I can, I, can, I can do this. Paul says there's no place for this as a Jesus follower. There's no place for this in, in the new family that we are a part of in Christ. This is adopted children. As mentioned in Ephesians 4, chapter, 9, or, uh, chapter 4, 19, greed uh, or covetousness is inseparable from impurity. Every form of sexual immorality is an expression of greed. Contrary to God's love, which is self-giving, greed or covetousness is the insatiable desire for more. Paul identifies it as idolatry in verse 5 and, and even in Colossians 3, 5. Covetousness may seem out of place next to sexual immorality, but the two sins are different expressions of the same weakness, uncontrolled appetite. They each desire to satisfy the appetite by taking what does not belong to them. That's the nature of greed. It's the nature of idolatry, right? It's about desiring something more than God, and it's something I don't have. So when you think about your life and you think about those things, uh, and, and let's take an even broader picture outside of just even sexual immorality, looking and desiring for what someone else has that you wish you had, something that you see and you go, God, you're great, but you're not good enough. I actually need that now. And how quickly this happens. Jesus told his followers, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Jesus had to tell them to watch out for it. And, 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 he's, and, and when he's tell, talking to them, he's talking to us that we need to watch out for it as well. And I think the reason uh, he's passionate about saying watch out is because none of us think we're greedy. I have never had somebody say, Steve, I got to talk to you about my greed. It just hasn't happened. And, 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 but, and so I think, I think this whole problem, and would you say we, we have a problem with greed or, or not, right? I think we'd all agree that greediness is alive and well. And in a materialistic culture, greed is actually just an expectation of life. It's celebrated. Like, good job. Look what you got. Man, you were able to get that. Oh, I want that now. I want to outdo what you got. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expectation, uh, right? And, like, and, and here's what's so uh, dangerous. It's also socially acceptable. Like, it's acceptable. Oh, you want more money? That's awesome. Da, da, da. But like, here's the reality. Like some of us, man, we're talking about things we don't have or want, and we're starting to talk about it in an unhealthy way. And if we really look and we really peel back the layers, there is greed in there. There's greed. 
There's covetousness. Like there's, there's a desire for something you don't have and it's starting to rule and to reign in your life. And not only is it dangerous and will wreck you uh, when it comes to sexual impurity and love in the way God's designed it, but it will wreck your life. And, and, and essentially, you will find yourself down a road you have no business going down, isolated from everything you held to be and believed to be the most valuable. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. The call is for believers to find their satisfaction in God alone. And this is, this is so important because, you know, just as I was alluding to a minute ago, these sins that we're talking about here, these are not, like there's a reason in, in your Bible you will see this warning over and over again. We're, we're like, like flee from this. Be aware of this. Watch out for this. Guard your heart, guard your mind from this. Why do you think it keeps doing that? Because there is something different when we're talking about sexual immorality. There just is. It's so dangerous. And we're so culturally numb to the dangers that we've even made like, like the results that have just rocked people. We've, we've, we've literally been like, oh, that's just part of life. Like, why does that have to be part of life? Why in the world does, does divorce have to be um, a, a part of life? Like we, we literally go after these, these sins. And whenever I say sin, sin is anything that is in opposition to God, to God's will, to who he is. And we think about these sins. They are so attractive They're, and, and promising. Uh, there's something deeper. There's something uh, larger that, 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 that happens when we seek out this Intimacy. We all desire intimacy at the deepest level, at the greatest level, and that will drive us if it is um, focused in an unhealthy way, in a, in a goal that it shouldn't be. And so we see it moving um, and going after uh, these things that are so attractive and promising, but then all of a sudden, your spouse is discarded. You just lost your, your marriage. But you keep going after this lust, this, this desire, and all of a sudden you have no relationship with your kids anymore. Or maybe now you don't even get to see your kids often because they're no longer a part of your life. Homes are destroyed. Friendships ruined. Addictions formed. All from one pursuing Someone who was desired in the name of love. It's so dangerous. And, and I don't care if you say, uh, I'm, as a Jesus follower, this is so important. Or, or if you're not a Jesus follower, like I don't care which side of the aisle you're on when it comes to this right now. I care deeply that you have a relationship with Jesus. But if you don't, you, I know that you know how big of a deal this is. Because I know the pain that I've walked with, with people on both sides that have dealt with this. And so we may pretend, we may act like this isn't a big deal. This isn't a big fear. This hasn't had crazy consequences, but, but th there's just no way to say that. When we think about the state of families in our culture, when we think about um, all that's happening, um, it's so sad. The statistics are overwhelming. I could do a whole sermon on statistics right now, but I'm not going to. 
that point to how dangerous and the results that can happen when we allow this immorality to take hold of our hearts and our lives. But here's the reality for us. Churches should be known for restoring those who have fallen into sexual sin. However, people cannot have healing apart from repentance. See, the meaning of saints here is, 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 is holy ones. And, and as, as holy ones, we're to have no part of what's unholy if we're in Christ. And, and in verse 4, it continues on. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. He warns against sins of the tongue, which are really, as we learned a couple weeks ago, sins of where? Sins of the heart. You know, I, 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 read this, uh, I read this quote, and it was very interesting, and I was thinking about it. It said, two indications of a person's character are what makes them laugh and what makes them weep. And I don't know where you land on agreeing with that statement, but either way, it causes you to really think, doesn't it? What are the things that cause you to weep? What are the things that cause you to laugh? Christians shouldn't be engaged in filthiness and foolish talk, it talks about, or crude joking, uh, language that's degrading or shameful shouldn't be coming out of our mouths if we are in Christ, if we are a new creation. Now, Here's the thing. There is nothing wrong with humor or laughter, but humor can be abused in malicious and vulgar ways. Therefore, Paul forbids crude joking. It carries the idea of quickly turning something that is said or done, no matter how innocent, into that which is obscene or suggestive. And I think we've seen or, or know people, or maybe we're that person, that we can take anything and, and turn it into something like perverse. And it's so sad that, that somebody could feel the need to do that or feel like that's just okay. But the problem is there's a lot of people that laugh. There's a lot of Jesus followers that laugh. There's a lot of Jesus followers that are participating in all of these things, and they go, oh, it's okay, grace. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I was actually going to talk about uh, this in my midweek, and I decided not to because I was like, I want to talk about this now. But in James, as we've even uh, looked at some of those verses in the last couple of weeks, talking about the power of the tongue, we read this in James chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. It says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Do you see this? Do you see how like um, how troubling <laughs> this is? That literally out of the same mouth, the same source can come blessing and cursing. That we can bless God and yet in the same breath, we can curse humanity that is made in his image. That we could talk about them, that we can degrade them, that we can uh, bring them down. And they're made in his image. <laughs> and yet we praise him, we worship him. Same mouth. Why are we okay with that? Why are we not bothered by that? And we wonder why people don't like want a relationship with Jesus. We wonder why people are like hesitant. They've seen this. 
They've seen people say, I'm a Christian, and they watch them. Maybe they even go them to church. Maybe they're watching right now, and they've gone in there, and they've seen them act a certain way, worship a certain way, and then out of the same mouth, they have seen them totally rip apart somebody else, say things that are just awful, say, say things that are so far and, and so distorted from God's view of love and intimacy and all of that, and they've seen that, and... Of course they don't want to be a part of what you're, <laughs> what you're sharing with them. In place of corrupt speech, uh, it said what? It says, we should be known for giving thanks. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we're to g- give thanks. So we, our speech, uh, we should not be tearing down. We should not be uh, talking about all these crude, all these things that are inappropriate. We should actually be giving thanks with this mouth. We should be worshiping. Thanksgiving will come out of your mouth when gratitude fills your heart. Have you ever met someone like this? Man, when you, when you talk to people that live this out and the thanksgiving comes out of their mouth, man, they are so pleasant to be around. You seek them out, especially in a time like this when there's so much negative. It's like, oh man, I need to find those people. I need to be around those people from a socially distanced, acceptable spot. And, and I want to call them. Like, I, I need that in my life. Like, and, and that should be all of us if we say we're a Jesus follower. That's how we should be communicating. And it's refreshing. People want to be around that. Verses five through seven, it says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, uh, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Like, there it is. I hate that. Oh, I knew it. I knew he was gonna read verses like that. I'm gonna turn it off. Don't cancel yet. Hang with me. Paul is restating a truth that he taught the Ephesians while he pastored them. He says what? For you may be sure of this. So he's already taught them uh, this truth that he's sharing here. And, 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 and so he's like, listen, you already know this, but I'm gonna remind you again uh, that God will not tolerate this lifestyle from his followers, from his people, from his kids. You're part of a new family. You have a new nature. He's not okay with it. When you think about uh, covetousness, it's a, it's a form of idolatry. It's the worship of something other than God. And much of the ancient world had sexual practices wrapped up in their idolatry. A sexual sin problem is fundamentally a worship problem. If it's not worshipful, it's not about him. This is not just, and I just want to say this. This is not just for people who are not married, okay? Uh, listen, this also applies to married people. Just because you're married, it does not mean uh, that you are experiencing the intimacy that God has designed you to experience. In fact, I know many married couples that have walked with this through and these verses and, and, and the intent and the will of God, and they're not experiencing that because they're not doing it his way, and yet they're married. And so this, this is an all-encompassing thing. This, this connects with all of us, and it can invade any of our hearts. But what we see is no person who lives 
with habitual immorality, and that's important, habitual immorality. That means it's normal. The, the sin doesn't bother them. Uh, they can do wrong, and it, and it doesn't even like it doesn't even register. So somebody that continues to do that without repenting, without uh, feeling the conviction from the Holy Spirit, and, and they can literally habitually operate with impurity and greed, there is no way that they're a part of God's kingdom. Because no person who practices that could belong to him. It doesn't work. It doesn't even make sense. It contradicts the truths of, of Romans chapter 6. And, and, and in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, so, so, so if, you are, if you are a Jesus follower, you're a new creation. And the old has what? It's passed away. It's passing away. God's children have God's nature. And the habitually sinful person proves that they don't have that godly nature by their ability to just continue to do wrong. And it doesn't bother them. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he, not, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, what is that saying? If you are born of God, <laughs> there's no way you can just keep practicing sin because God's seed abides in you. You can't keep doing that. You're born of God. Uh, like, and, and, and it makes it evident to those who have genuinely received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and those who haven't. Now, here's what's important. Because when people read this and they rip it apart, they say, oh my goodness. So that means if you do this at all you, and you've made this mistake or that, you, you, you're done. You go to hell. Oh my goodness. That's not what it's saying. Because here's the reality. Do Christians fall into these sins? Read the Bible. See it all throughout here. David committed adultery. Yet what happened? God forgave him and he went to heaven. He's not the only one that made a mistake. He's not the only one who uh, operated out of God's will in certain specific situations. And he was disciplined for that sin, but he was not rejected by God. We actually see that he does have a relationship with God because he repented. He lies down before God. He is broken over what he did because of how much he loves God. Many times our response to, to, to sin indicates how much we love God. If it doesn't bother us, if we're okay with it, then we've got, to, we've got some deeper issues that we've got to work through with God. Because any, anybody that you love genuinely and you do something that hurts them and can be okay with it, that, that means there's a major, deep issue that you've got to work through. True Christians won't persist in these actions. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us, 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So what are we being trained in? What did that just say? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, this is what's so exciting, okay, about this because some people go, man, what am I going to do? How do I how do I enter into this relationship with God and I have all this baggage, all these things I've done, Oh, he helps you. He trains you. And you know what? He's so incredible. You don't even know that he's doing it. As you pursue him, he starts to literally uh, help take off all of these things that were part of your old nature as you embrace and walk in the newness of your new nature. He helps you do that. He helps walk you through that. He, and that's a byproduct of a relationship with him. And so if, you, if you're not walking towards that, if, if there's no conviction to move in that direction, you have to ask, have I ever had a relationship with him? The kingdom of, of Christ and God here refers to the, to the sphere of salvation, the community of the redeemed and the place of eternal glory. The, the person whose life pattern does not reflect that cannot claim God as their father or the kingdom of Christ and God as their inheritance. Such things do not characterize the children of God. Many profess, but many don't actually possess. And if you are watching this right now and you have been wounded by one of those people that is professed but not possessed, and it's rocked. It's shaped your form of who God is. It's shaped your form. Like It's hard for you to even listen. It's hard for you to open your Bible because of what you've seen, what you've experienced, what someone has done to you, and yet they say they're a Christian. I want to just want to say first, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God loves you so much. And he's not okay with what was done. But I also want to tell you this. By what we read here, we know that there are people that are going to profess that they're Jesus followers, but it's not genuine. It's not real. There has been no possession. Christ doesn't have possession. They haven't given him uh, that. They are still doing their own thing. They're just saying this. And so here's what I do want to encourage you with. You can stop today attaching that person to God because they are not. They're not in relationship with him. Some of us are, we have a distortion, we have a mistrust in God because of people who it's talking about right here. People who are professing all this, but there's no possession. They, they don't have a genuine, real relationship with Jesus. They say all these things, but they're continuing to habitually do everything that is in opposition to him, and they're hurting people, and all of this left and right. And if you've been hurt, if you are part of that damage, that wake of destruction that these people have left, I want you to know right now that, that by authority of what we're reading, you... Don't attach them to God. Don't attach them to your view of God. Separate that because they have no business with what God's doing. In fact, we're going to read that he's going to deal with them. It says, Paul says, God's wrath is coming on the unrepentant and people had better not listen to those who mock God's judgment. See, there were false Christians in those days, just as there are today, who argued that believers could live in sin. 
These deceivers would convince ignorant Christians, these new Christians, that they could habitually sin and still enter God's kingdom. In other words, hey, you were saved by grace. Go ahead. Keep doing that. Yeah, it's no big deal. God doesn't care. Like, like whatever. Like, yeah, keep having this relationship that you know is wrong. It's, it's bad. It's, it's damaging. It's not of him, but that's okay because of, of grace and that. And so they were saying this. They were encouraging people in that. They were deceiving them. And such people are called sons of disobedience because it's their nature to disobey. They're not sons of righteousness. They're sons of disobedience. And in a final warning, what did Paul say? What did he say there? Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Christians are to be salt in society. We're to love, we're to befriend those outside of faith. We're to meet them where they're at, to love them, to share about the hope that lies within us. And you will hear me say this over and over, and I'll, and I'll keep saying it, but... Who you're around should not only be people who look, think, and act like you. You should be continually, if you're a Jesus follower, surrounding yourself with people that are different, that have different beliefs, different backgrounds, because we are called to reach. We are called to go. We're called to witness. And so that should be an active part of our lives. And with that, though, comes this, this warning. Do not be partakers with some of those activities and some of those things. See, our mission does not involve participating in the sins of these things, of people that are not following Jesus. We must flee from these things and not share in the greed, the sexual immorality, the corrupt speech. A Christian is not sinless, but they sin less and hopefully less and less as they become more like God, as they grow in their understanding of their heavenly father. Don't imitate the world, but rather be imitators of God as beloved children. And I just want to, I want to just challenge us with this. I know it's father's day and I know this is a, this is a tough one, but I just got to believe God wants this, this one to be said. Satan wants to throw at you cheap counterfeits for God's love and intimacy. And I just don't be fooled. Stick with the creator's manual. Satan wants to distort and take away from your marriage. Satan wants to distort and take away from your ability to lead your kids, to lead, to make an impact in other people's kids. Satan wants to, to and, and what's so dangerous is, is a lot of it's going to come out of a desire for love. But he's, he's so good. He's counterfeited this God's love with lust and all of these things. And so it is not sacrificial in nature. It, it, and it doesn't produce the intimacy, the oneness, because it's outside of his will. Um, it's actually selfish. It's actually greed. And it's making myself the beneficiary. And yet, as I start to go down that road, I actually give up everything I care the most about to fulfill something that that can never fulfill. That if I would just go back to the owner, the designer, the one who wrote the manual, if I just would do it his way, I would experience everything he's saying you will experience. And that intimacy that he's designed you to have. Particularly when we think about sex. I want to close with this verse. 
And I want us to really just think through this verse, maybe pray through this verse and what this looks like for you. This verse, I was reading it this week and, and, uh, and I just feel like it's really appropriate to close with this verse. It says in Psalms 19, 14, it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray that for you. I may not know you, who are watching right now, but man, I pray that. I pray that you would pray that, that you would seek that. And I pray for any of you right now that just need repentance. You need to get back in alignment with him. You need to give him your heart. You saw this and you're like, oh my goodness, I need to reestablish my relationship or you need to establish a relationship with him and you never have had one. I wanna challenge you to establish that right now. Let's pray.